Good morning, uh, Central Baptist Church family, and good morning to you two who are joining us from different places. We want to welcome you as we hear God's word this morning. Um, we have been going through Malachi, and um, for a couple of Sundays, we um, went through chapter 1 and then chapter 2. Today, I just wanted to go to chapter um, to verse 17 up until chapter 3 verse 5 chapter 2 verse 17 up until chapter 3 verse 5 and the title for our sermon today is come thou long expected messiah come thou long expected messiah malachi chapter 2 verse 17 to chapter 3 verse uh, 5 let us take this time and present it to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we want to thank you for this morning. We want to thank you for your grace and your love. We want to thank you, Father, that you are a God who hears us and a God who speaks to us clearly from your word. Speak to us even this morning as we hear your word. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. One of the the church's cries is from I think that we share we share with the apostle John in Revelation chapter 22 when he says come Lord Jesus come it, it is a cry that is shared by every believer when we see the world in the state that it is in when we experience the uh, malady of sin, when we experience hardships and trials and difficulty, our cry to the Lord is, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Now, this is the same with the Israelites in Malachi here. That the Israelites during, uh, during Malachi's day longed for the coming of the Messiah. They, they were experiencing economic and social troubles. They, they, they were under the oppression of the Persian uh, Empire. They saw all their, their problems with their circumstances and they wanted justice. In, in fact, they were even accusing God of being unjust to them as they looked at their situation. They were accusing God of being unjust. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, listen to what they say. They say, where is the God of justice? They, they thought God was celebrating evil instead of getting rid of evil. They, they, they said again, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. And so they wanted the Messiah to come and set things right. They, 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 they may have been singing um, their own version of the song, Come thou long expected Jesus. But they failed to see what that, that many of their problems were in their own hearts and, and their own lives. They, they, they were the ones acting unfaithfully, not God. That they needed the Messiah to come. But, but they needed the Messiah to come and deal with their sins in them. Not just with the problems outside of them. They needed to wait for the Messiah in repentance. But they were expecting a different Jesus than the one who came. In our day, there are many problems in the world. There are many injustices that we experience. And we are prone to complain about them, aren't we? We may even question God's faithfulness and say, where is the God of justice? 
Why does the homosexual agenda continue to make progress? Why does the ISIS seem to get away with their murderous ways? Why do, do people, um, the unjust, seem to get away with their ways? The, the, the oppression of the poor, why do they do that? So we cry out to God and say, where is the God of justice? Does God think everyone who does evil is good? Does God delight in them? In this world of injustice, we long for the return of Jesus. We long for Christ to return and set the world to its right. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus. But until he comes, we need to set our priorities straight. We need God to deal with the sin that is inside us and and the sin that is inside others. That's why Jesus came the first time. So, so maybe the best way to anticipate the Lord's return is the same for us as it should have been for the Israelites during Malachi's time. Maybe the best way to think about the coming of Christ is, the, uh, is to return to the Lord, to wait in repentance and to seek to be purified from our sin. And maybe we need to call others to repent and to turn to Christ and to be purified from their sin. The Lord is coming, and he will come the second time in judgment. The question is, dear brothers and sisters, are you ready? Now turn your Bibles with me to Malachi chapter 2. We'll be covering chapter chapter 2, verse 17, to chapter 3, verse 5 this morning. This is the fourth disputation that we will be looking at. You'll notice that we skipped uh, verse 10 to verse 16 of chapter 2. Uh, the reason for that is because we will deal um, in detail with that when we go to our series in Matthew, um, when we, we, we turn to, to Matthew in the next coming months. So we, we are looking at today chapter 2 verse 17 to chapter 3 verse 5. Malachi chapter 2 verse 17 to chapter 3 verse 5. I read from the ESV, this is God's word, let us hear him. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refi- a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and in the former days. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God. 
to divide this passage this morning, I'm simply going to look at the problem the text presents and the unexpected solution it presents. The, the, problems comes, the problem comes when you look at verses um, 17 of chapter 2 and verses 5 of chapter 3. The, the solution is found in chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. The, prob- the, the problem and the solution will teach us two truths this morning. Let's start with the, with the problem. Malachi says, you have wearied the Lord in verse, 16, in verse 17 of chapter 2. You have wearied the Lord with your words. The Israelites say to the Lord, to, to, to Malachi, how have we wearied him? To which Malachi responds to them by saying that the Israelites have been saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? The Israelites think that God is being unjust here. They think that he delights in evil people. And as I indicated earlier, the reason the Israelites think the Lord is being unjust is because they were experiencing hardships at the hands of the oppressors. They believe that if God were just, he would give those evil people what they had coming to them. That's what justice is, isn't it? It's getting what you deserve. And in a sense, they were right. God had promised to defeat their enemies for them. That was part of God's covenant with them. But the other part of the covenant was that they were supposed to be faithful to God. And they were not being faithful. God said that they wouldn't be protected from their enemies when they were not faithful. The Israelites were not being faithful to God. They were supposed to act justly towards others. They were supposed to give others what they deserved, but they were not doing so. That is what wearied the Lord here. They were calling God to be faithful to them, but they were not being faithful to God. There are two areas of unfaithfulness I want to draw out this morning. They, they, they weren't being faithful in their marriage relationships. They, they were not loving their wives. They were not loving one another in the community. They, they lack faithfulness in marriage. Uh, Their lack of faithfulness in marriage is seen in the third disputation in chapter um, 2, verse 10 to 16. They, they were marrying women who worshipped other gods. And the men were divorcing their wives when you look at verse 14. They, they, they wanted God to be faithful to them and give their enemies what they deserve. Uh, 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 then they needed to be faithful to God. They, they should be faithful to God. If they want justice from God, they should be faithful to God. And this included being faithful to their wives and giving them what they deserved. Their wives deserved marriage until death did them apart. Look at verse 15 and verse 16 of chapter 2. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says to the Lord, the God of Israel, and and covers his garment with violence, or uh, as other translations say, with injustice, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. Do not be faithless. They were practicing a no-fault divorce before it was even popular in South Africa. They were being unfaithful. Their garments were covered with violence or injustice because they were divorcing their wives. And they were accusing God of being unjust and unfaithful. They wearied the Lord. 
The second area they were being unjust and unfaithful was toward other people in their community. We see this in chapter 3 verse 5. There, there was sorcery, that is witchcraft. Right? They, 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 they practiced witchcraft. There was adultery. There was perjury, that is lying. Not only that, they were oppressing their employees by not giving them the wages they deserved. I think we spoke about this when we did our series in, 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 in James that they were holding back what was um, what was deserved by their employees they were not paying them well they were robbing them and they were not paying them in time they were not taking care of widows and the orphans in their community and not only that they were not showing the foreigners who were traveling through their country hospitality they deserved all these things God had commanded to do. Remember, in his law, when God made a covenant with the Israelites, these are the things that he said they should do. They must take care of the widows, the orphans. They must take care of the poor. They must take care of, of the, 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 the foreigners who are passing through their land. But they failed to do it. Why? It is because at the core of their heart, they did not fear God. They didn't worship Him and they didn't obey Him. They, they called themselves the people of God, but they didn't live like the people of God. And this is the first truth we learn in our passage this morning. Not all who claim to, be, to belong to God really belong to God. Let me say that again. Not all who claim to belong to God really belong to God. We see similar things in our day, don't we? People who call themselves Christians but commit sexual immorality and divorce at the same rate with the world. People who call themselves Christians but who are not honest and, and talk behind other people's backs. People who call themselves Christians but who are too greedy to take care of their employees or too greedy to be generous towards those who have little. Throughout the centuries, there have been people who claim to know God, but who show little evidence. Uh, that seems to be what was going on in Malachi's day here. The Israelites were being unfaithful to God. And they wanted, to be, they wanted God to be faithful to them. They, they accused God of being unjust when they were the ones being unjust to others. And this wearied the Lord. What the people really wanted was for the Messiah to come. They were seeking the Messiah. They delighted in the Messiah. They believed that when the Messiah came, all things would be better. The wicked people would be judged and removed. And they were right to expect the Messiah to come. But the Messiah that was coming was not coming as they expected. God's solution to their problems was not what they expected. Let's turn to the solution. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God says, 
the Messiah will be preceded by a messenger who will prepare the way before him. And the way he prepares the people for the Messiah is by calling them to repent. This messenger is distinct from the messenger of the covenant. That the messenger of the covenant is the Messiah. The messenger that will prepare the way before the Messiah is John the Baptist. The Messiah will be sent from the Lord. And at the same time, this Messiah will be the Lord. God says the messenger, which is John the Baptist, will prepare the way before me. And that means that the Messiah must be God himself. And the Messiah will come into his temple, the Lord's temple. So the Messiah is sent from God. And listen to this, the Messiah is God. The Messiah that is spoken of here is none other than Jesus Christ, the, Messiah, the messenger of the New Testament, the New Covenant. The, 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 the man sent from God, who at the same time was God in the flesh. These are the glorious truths truth that we celebrate at, at Christmas. God came in the form of a man to save his people. But what he came to save his people from, from, from what the Israelites, that was not what the Israelites expected. They expected him to save them from oppression of their enemies. But in verse 2, we see a different picture, right? Verse 2 of chapter 3, they say, But who can endure the, the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Who can endure the day of the Lord's coming? Who can stand when he appears? Nobody that's impure. Nobody that is dirty. That's what's drawn out in the metaphor in verse 2. That the day of the Lord comes like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. What do both refiner's fire and soap do? They separate things. The refiner's fire separates the dross from the precious metals. The soap separates dirt from clothes. In other words, the Israelites were not pure. They were dirty because they had broken God's covenant. They had been unfaithful and unjust. So God's judgment would not simply, would not simply be on their enemies. God's judgment would be on all who were unclean and impure. God's judgment will be on them if they didn't repent. The Israelites didn't expect this. But, but, but the good news is there was something else that they didn't expect. They, they didn't expect the Messiah to come two times. They expected him to come only once. And thank God for this unexpected truth, right? When, when Jesus came the first time, he didn't come in judgment. If he did, we would all be doomed. He came to purify his people. This is drawn out of verse 3 of chapter 3. That says he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. The worship in Malachi's day was corrupt as we saw last week if you were listening. The people weren't bringing their best to God. And the priests were allowing this unacceptable worship. But when the Messiah came the first time, he purified his people so that there would be acceptable worship among God's people. This is the second truth we learn from our passage. 
The Messiah came to purify a people to worship God. The Messiah came to purify a people to worship God. And the question is, how did he do this? Well, Jesus became the perfect priest who offered the perfect sacrifice to God. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of his people. And through his death on the cross, God's people came, um, God's people can be purified from their sins. Jesus came in justice for the first time, like the Israelites expected, but in an unexpected way. For Jesus came also in mercy. God's justice was served in Christ's death. He took the penalty for our sins and God's mercy was seen in him because Jesus took what he deserved, what we he didn't deserve upon himself. We can receive what we do we don't deserve. We can have mercy and forgiveness. And now in view of God's mercy, we can offer our lives as sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God as our spiritual worship before him. At Jesus' first coming, he purified God's people so that they could offer him acceptable worship. He was faithful to the point of death so that he can be faithful to God. And this was unexpected, but it's good news. It is the gospel. When Jesus comes the second time, he will come in judgment. Right? He came the first time in mercy. He came the first time to draw many to himself, to call many to repentance. When he comes the second time, the message won't be the message of repentance. It will be time for judgment. His coming will be like a refiner's fire and soap. He will separate the precious metal from the dross. He will separate the clothes from the dead. He will separate the sheep from the goats. And this separation will only, won't only be between those who claim to be Christians and those who don't. This separation will happen even in the church. In Malachi's day, God said that those who oppress the hired worker in his wages and the widow and the fatherless would meet God's judgment. Those who thrust aside the sojourner, the, 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 the alien, would not endure his coming. Because these things proved that they didn't fear the Lord. Jesus said something earlier uh, that was similar to those who claim to be Christians. In Matthew chapter 25, this is what he says. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep, the sheep from the goats. Jesus said that those who prove their salvation by faithfulness and justice to other people through feeding the hungry, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, will go away into eternal life. Those who are not faithful and do not do justice will show that they are not saved at all and they will go away to eternal punishment. Jesus said as well that you can't say that you love God and hate your brother. Remember that John in 1 John chapter 4 verse 17 says this. He says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How does God's love 
abide in that person. Of course, we must admit that we are not saved by our good works. But if, we've, if, if we've, we are indeed, we have indeed been saved and purified by God, it will show itself in good works, especially to our neighbor and to those in the church. This is our spiritual worship to God. Jesus came the first time to save us from our sins and to restore our worship to God. This is a reason to celebrate, but Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he will come in judgment. He will come in judgment. Now the question is, how should we prepare for his second coming? I think the same way that the Jews have prepared for his, his first coming, we should repent. That is, we should turn from our sin and return to God. And this is my sermon in one sentence. Because Jesus is coming again in judgment, we should repent of our sin and believe the gospel. That is why the messenger, John the Baptist, was sent. He came preaching a message of repentance to prepare people for Christ's coming. And that's what Malachi's people um, calls the people um, to, to, to do after he announces that the Messiah is coming. Look at verse 7. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. That is verse 7 of chapter 3. The book of Revelation also, which looks to Christ's return, it is full of commands for the church to repent as it waits for God's coming judgment. First Thessalonians chapter 5, which looks to Christ's return, calls us to walk in the light as we wait for the Lord's return. We should repent. We should turn from our sins and turn to, 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 to the God who saves us from our sins in Christ. Specifically, we should repent of our sins and not uh, and, uh, our sins of not loving others and not giving them what they deserve. And, and, and we need to call others to repent and believe the gospel. That is why I keep emphasizing the mission of our church. We exist as a church to carry out the Great Commission. We exist as a church to glorify God, to seek the glory of God. And one of the ways we seek the glory of God is by, by calling people to repentance. You remember that quote by John Piper that we quoted last week about missions, that missions exist because worship doesn't. What we want people to, what we want from the world, we want to reach out people with the gospel so that they will worship God. Mission is a means to an end. And the end is the worship of God. When we are in heaven, there won't be missions. Missions 
is, is, is God's way of using his people to call out to those who are sinners and are unrepentant to call them to repentance so that they can worship God and that's when mission has been fulfilled I love Christmas right? it was last month and I love the traditions that surround Christmas as well Traditions that help us to celebrate and uh, the incarnation of Jesus. But I wonder if we don't need to incorporate into our traditions more time for repentance. The Lord is coming again. Who can endure the coming of the Lord? Who can stand when he come? Only those who have repented of their sins and turned to Christ in faith. The best way, brothers and sisters, to prepare for the coming of the Lord is is what I find in in John. John chapter 3. John says, chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure everyone one of the marks that we are hoping in christ will be seen in how we live our lives we live our lives in purity the best way to prepare for the return of Christ is to live a life of repentance. Amen. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we want to thank you, Lord, for Christ who came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross, our debt to pay. From the cross to the grave. From the grave to the sky. We pray that our hearts will worship you. That you will lead us in your ways. That you will truly speak to us, O oh God. Prepare our hearts as we wait for your second coming. That we will be a people that are marked by holiness and purity of heart. A people that are marked by a desire and a zeal to reach out to those who do not know you. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.